The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to his disciples, I have much more to tell you, but you cannot bear it now. But when he comes, the Spirit of truth, he will guide you to all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak what he hears and will declare to you the things that are coming. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything that the Father has is mine. For this reason I told you that he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus. So today is Trinity Sunday, and like I mentioned, every single time we we go to pray, we often start, right, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And we do this to cross, put a cross on ourselves, to begin prayer, to remind us of who we are, but also to remind ourselves of the Trinity. But the Trinity is more than a little bit confusing, it's a mystery. It's a mystery that many times um, can't be fully explained. In fact, it's always difficult on Trinity Sunday, you're talking about the Trinity in general, because whenever you start talking about the Trinity, you always run into heresy. You always get it wrong in some ways because because it's difficult to explain. We explain it by human words, but it's a little bit more than that, right? Whenever we explain, we, we fail to fully explain it. And so we have to extend a certain amount that is mystery. Uh, but we don't want to say that we don't know anything about the Trinity. Okay? This is important for us to acknowledge that it is a mystery. It is beyond us, but it's not wholly beyond us. Okay? So there are certain things that we do know and certain ways that we kind of grasp and try to reach and understand it. And I want to be very clear that the Trinity, although it's difficult to understand and is a mystery, is not illogical. That's sometimes the accusation. So what is the Trinity? Well, the Trinity is three persons in one being, one substance. One God, right? We believe monotheistic. There is one God. There can only be one God, but there are three persons. Well, that doesn't quite work, right? We think about the normal logic and we think one plus one plus one is equal to one. Wait, that doesn't work, right? Um, it's supposed to be three, right? How does that work? How, is that, how does that logic work? Well, one uh, example that I found really helpful for me in terms of just understanding the way that some things kind of defy our, lo- our normal logic. Uh, it was an example that was given of a tesseract. Now, a tesseract, if you know about Marvel movies, there's a tesseract in that. We're not talking about that tesseract. Tesseract is actually a shape in the fourth dimension. Now, we live in the third dimension, so we can't really understand the fourth dimension, but we do understand it. We understand certain things or at least theorize about how the fourth dimension might be. And so in the two dimension, we have a square, okay? So all right angles, right? Second dimension... All right, all right corners is a square. We can see it. In the third dimension, we have a cube, which has all right angles in the third dimension, and that's a cube. In the fourth dimension, if we added that again, which we can't really understand because we live in the third dimension, would be the theory is a tesseract. 
and we can understand kind of the shadow of it, and we kind of have an idea of it. If you look it up, it's, it's kind of fascinating. Um, but there's kind of this idea that, okay, well, we know something about the Tesseract, this cube in the fourth dimension, and we can sort of infer certain things about it, but our brain can't really understand it, okay? Now, what I think that's, it's a good kind of analogy in some ways to the Trinity, because in our reality, right, what we experience every single day is that one person is one being, right? Everything that we experience, there's one person, one being uh, in our world, right? In our experience, in the way that we interact. In fact, in the Greek language, which this was the Trinity's understanding was kind of debated and understood in uh, when the world was speaking mainly Greek in the Roman Empire. At that time, it was, it was mainly Greek in the Nicene Council. And there was actually no distinction in the Greek language between person and being. They were synonymous. They were exactly the same. There was never an idea of separating the human or the being and the person because that wasn't, didn't happen. But through the continued kind of engagement of Scripture, the engagement of who Jesus Christ is, who the Holy Spirit is, who God is, in the Nicene Council, there was this affirmation of the understanding that there are three persons in one God, which was always believed but not necessarily explained or really kind of, uh, you know, uh, fully ex- explained. So, one of the ways that I think is helpful for, for me to understand the Trinity and the way that God is three persons in one being and the, why that might be the case is an example that kind of is pulled to a degree from St. Augustine. St. Augustine kind of speaks about God, and, and what we know about God is that God has always existed, right? He existed from the beginning of time before time existed, okay? So he's not in time, he's outside of time. So before time began, outside of time, God existed. And that has to be the case because if God is God, then he's always existed, he's always been, okay? And so God initially, at the beginning of whatever beginning is from all time, thinks about the, thinks thoughts, right? Because we think thoughts and, and God obviously thinks thoughts. Well, our thoughts even, to a degree, create. When we think about something, we actually create, to a degree, that image in our brain. When we think of an elephant, there's no elephant here, but an elephant kind of appears in our brain, right? We kind of think about that. Well, God's creation and thought is even more creative than that. When God thinks of something, he creates it. And so we actually know that he's thinking about each one of us right now because we're in existence. And God's thought is creative and sustaining. So God, at the beginning of time, before time, thinks. And he thinks about the most perfect thing. Now, the most perfect thing to think about is himself. Now, when we think about ourselves, right, that's prideful and a little bit narcissistic because we're human. But when God thinks about himself, that is proper because he is God. Well, when God thinks about himself... He's creative, so he creates himself to a degree. He begots is the language that we use, that the Father eternally begots begots his Son, the second person of the Trinity. By the very thought of himself, creates, but he doesn't create. It's not creation in the way that we think of it. It's begotting from all time, before time, not in time, that that he begets the second person of the Trinity, the Son. 
And the Son, in His love for the Father, pours Himself out in love to the Father. And the Father loves the Son so much that He pours Himself out into the Son. And that love is so great, so great, that it's creative as well. That the Holy Spirit comes into existence. Now what that means is that God primarily, at the heart of who God is, is relational and communal. That God, at the heart of who he is, is not a solitary being ruling from someplace afar and distant and removed, but is a God who, at the heart of his being, is relation. Is a father who loves a son, a son who loves his father. The Holy Spirit that spirates, that's kind of the theological language, spirates, uh, from the father and the son. Okay? And so we see that this is the case. Now, one of the examples uh, that also, again, helps us to kind of unpack this mystery a little bit, I think, is the family. Now, God, in the natural law, uh, in the natural world, gives us certain clues, right? We're made in the image and likeness of God in some ways, right? Not because we have two ears and a nose, right? That's not the image and likeness of God, but there are certain things. One of them is our thinking and our ability to create, right? Another way that he's kind of created within our very being, very creation, to kind of give an image of the Trinity is the way that human beings, uh, one of the ways is specifically of the family. Now, what way is that? Well, when a man and a woman love each other so greatly that they are come together that their love, in, in some cases, is so great that actually a third person would be created, right? We see that this love in the image of the family is, is creative in the same way that the Trinity is creative, the same way that it's generous, the same way that it pours itself out. It's, the family is relational, right? It's communal. And it's tied together in a way that can't be separated. And so the family has always been an image or an understanding of a way, again, of an analogy, not a perfect image, but an image of the Trinity, a way in which we can see that there's this creative aspect, that there's this love aspect that's inherent within God that he allows us to participate in and to be creative as well. Now, what does that all ultimately, uh, what do we pull away from all of this? Well, again, I want us to pull away that every single time that we make the sign of the cross, every single time that we think about the Trinity, we should be a little bit amazed and a little bit confused, a little bit of the mystery, but that we are reminded that we have a God, a God who has revealed himself, desired for us to know him, right? And why? Because at the heart of God is relationship. At the heart of his being is communion. Right? And that's why the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, came and walked among us so that he might invite us into that relationship and communion, which is ultimately what heaven is. Which is ultimately what this Mass is meant to be. Right? To be in relationship with God, to be in relationship with one another. We have the sacrament of the Most Holy Eucharist, which is called communion. Right? 
this extension of God who desires to be in communion with us so much so that he would take on flesh and walk among us and give us the sacrament of the Eucharist and continue to be present to us in our reality here today, to invite us into that communion. Again, because that is who God is. God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he invites us into that. Now, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit, and I love this second reading about how it says, the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. I think it's another thing that I want you to take away again as well, is that again, we live in the age of the Holy Spirit. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is active today in our lives. And what primarily is that? Beautifully to think about is the love of God, which is poured into our hearts, right? The Holy Spirit is that love of God, which pours into our lives that desires, that God desires us to be a part of. And so as we pray to the Holy Spirit, as we invite God into our life, we invite the Holy Spirit, we invite that communion, that relationship that he pours out uh, to us and desires and invites us back into that. And so this foundational doctrine, which is a mystery, is also personal, is also uh, changes our way that we relate to God because we do know certain things about it, even as we don't know everything about it. God is one being, three persons, a trinity, which is not illogical, but is beyond logic, is faith, is mystery. And we are invited into that today and every day, every single moment, when we make the sign of the cross and when we come here to Mass.